It has been rightly said that a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. And what is worse is that many of those people don't know that they're in trouble. Um, it's, it's one thing, you know, to, to, to be in trouble. It's another thing not to know that you're in trouble. And it, it doesn't surprise me that non-Christians don't understand the importance of the church. But it is somewhat surprising and concerning that so many uh, Christians fail to see the importance of the church and their place in it. I've met lots of people, I've had lots of conversations, and, and you will undoubtedly hear from some people things like this. Well, you, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Or, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm growing in my faith and you know, I just don't have time for church or something along those lines that really uh, reveals um, a disdain, if you would, you know, for the church. And of course, many people have had bad experiences with church. Uh, that plays a, a part in it. You've probably heard people say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, you know, and, and that's true. But I, I'd rather have them here losing their hypocrisy than not being here and remaining in it. And so um, comments like these reveal that, that many people don't understand the nature and the purpose of the church. They don't understand how vitally important the church is to their own spiritual growth and the health of the church and the mission of God. You know, we need to remember that Jesus didn't just die for individuals. He didn't just die to save individuals from their sin. He died for a people. He died for a people that we know as the church. And if you belong to him, you belong to the church. So this morning we're launching a new series um, based on a wonderful little book uh, that uh, our life groups are, are going through, that we are encouraging everybody in this church to read. Uh, there are copies of it still out in the lobby. So if you haven't picked up your copy, and by the way, it's free. We wanted to purchase it for you. The only thing we ask is that if you take the book, that you'll read the book. And I've read it now three times. I've mentioned that before. And um, I think it can be transformative in the life of this church. I think it will be transformative in your life if you will allow the truth contained therein, as well as the truth that you'll hear over the next 10 weeks, to really sink in so that you would understand just how truly marvelous and wonderful the church really is and what your role is in it as well. And the book is called Rediscover Church. So whether you're discovering church for the first time or rediscovering it, that's where we're going. In fact, I thought it would be good probably just to share with you what the authors of the book say the purpose of the book is. And so uh, in the introduction, they write that this book aims to help you rediscover church so that you both understand what a church is and in turn discover the richness of living as a brother or sister in the family of God, the joy of living as one part of Christ's body united to other parts of the body, and the countercultural power of living as one brick in the holy temple where God dwells on earth now. 
We want you to experience all of these benefits and blessings, both for your own sake and for the sake of your non-Christian friends and neighbors. And so that's the purpose uh, that Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman have. Uh, if I were to kind of maybe shrink it down, condense it a little bit, I would say that it's to discover or rediscover the church and the blessings and the joy and the power and the responsibility of being a part of it. So we begin our 10-week study uh, in uh, this book and, and the topics that are contained in it. So it's a little bit different than like what we did with 1 Peter and 2 Peter and Ephesians and Colossians and all these other uh, books that we've been in. Um, it'll be more topical, but I think that the topic of the church is very, very important for us to address because a proper understanding of the church and our place in it is absolutely essential for anyone who is serious about following Jesus. So let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time this morning and for your word to us. And Lord, as we look at uh, many scriptures this morning, um, many individual passages, Lord, there is so much to learn, uh, to glean from. And so we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would be our teacher and our guide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start off by simply asking a very simple question. The answer isn't so simple, but uh, the question is, and that is, what is church? What is church? To answer that question, I think it might be first helpful to us if we understand what church is not. Okay? So what it is not. Well, first of all, the church is not a building. You've heard me say that before. And I think on some level, we all understand that and agree with it, but I think our culture has so intertwined with our Christianity that sometimes we can't help but speak as if it was a building. It's just the way it is. Uh, for instance, you probably have heard people say things like, hey, where do you go to church? Or, uh, hey, I'll meet you at the church. That's a beautiful church. Right? What are we referring to? The church is a building, as a place. Um, in one sense, it's not that bad because we're going to talk about the local church and we may simply be referring to, oh, that's where that particular local church meets. But the church is not only not a building, the church is not a worship service. And I think that's probably the trap that most of us fall into. Uh, we say things like, hey, are you going to church? Or, uh, what time does church start? Or, uh, honey, uh, you're, hurry up, we're going to be late for church. Um, or, let's go to lunch after church. And what each of those things refer to, then, is the church as a service. Uh, it's, a, it's a worship service. Are you, you going to it? So, the Greek word translated church occurs 114 times in the New Testament, and not once does it ever refer to it as a building or a service. In fact, the early church didn't have special buildings, fancy buildings to meet in. Most of the time, they met in people's homes. You can read about that in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Philemon 2, Colossians 4, all sorts of different places in the New Testament. So it, it's so ingrained in us, it's hard to get out of the habit of, of talking like that. 
I struggle with that. And, and, and it's a lot harder to speak biblically than it is to speak culturally in a sense. So like, you know, in saying, you know, hey, we're going to be late for church to say, hey, honey, we're going to be late for worship. Or, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're not, you know, hey, I'll meet you at the church building <laughs> or something to that effect. It's, it's harder to talk like that. It is. But I think if, if we want to speak biblically about the church, we, we at least have to try. And so I don't mind being corrected when I slip up because I, I want to remember what the church is. I, I, I feel like that's absolutely important. So the church is not a building. It's not a worship service. But the church is also not a club or a service provider. Now, how many of you guys belong to a club or some sort of service provider here? Okay, all right. See, notice very few hands went up. But in a minute, they're all going to go up. How many of you... <laughs> belong to Sam's Club or Costco? How many of you have a gym membership? How about the NRA, AARP, all right? I can go down the list and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm, I'm AAA, I, I love AAA. I, I, I've had to use it to get, get my keys out of the car, fix flat tires, get towed and everything else, make travel arrangements for places. Most of us are, are in a club of some sort. And why does anybody join a club? To get the benefits of that club, right? When you join the gym, what are you hoping to get? In shape, maybe? To, to be healthier? Uh, how about Sam's or Costco? Uh, I, I, we, we go because we want to save money. And we find that if we buy some stuff in bulk, that saves us some money. You got to be careful with that. But, but nonetheless, that's what we, why, why we're involved with it. But the church is not a club. Though the church provides certain services, it's not a service provider. You don't join a church to get benefits. And perhaps maybe we, we need to rethink this whole idea of joining the church. Because I think in our consumer culture, that's how we, I, I know many people, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, people would, would join a church simply to make contacts, networking, meet people so they can sell their, their stuff. People will join a church, um, you know, because they need somebody to marry them. People will, will join a church for all sorts of reasons, looking to get something from their involvement, especially if they put any money in the offering plate. Jonathan Lehman, in another book, he's one of the authors of Rediscover Church, he says this, he says, Christ does not call us to join a church, but to submit to a church. That's a different way of looking at church membership. It's, it's understanding that we're already, if you're a believer, a part of the church. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it speaks about a formal commitment that somebody makes to a particular body. And we'll talk about that in just a bit. So, so we learn it's not a building, it's not a service, it's not a club or a service provider. So what is it? What is the church? Well, simply put, the church is people. The church is people. The English word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means assembly 
or gathering. So if you took just the, the, the definition of the word, you then understand why virtual church is not the church. Because it is not an assembly. It is not a gathering of God's people. By definition, that's what the church is. What's even more interesting is understanding what the word ecclesia, where it comes from. It comes from two words. The first word is ek, meaning out of. And the second word is kaleo, means to call. So it's the idea that the church is an assembly or a gathering of a called out group of people. What are they called out of? They're called out of the world and to God and for his purposes. He has called them out of the world to himself. Now, there are several metaphors and descriptions used in the New Testament to describe the church. And taken together, they give us a much fuller picture of the beauty and the majesty that is the church. And I'm going to mention a few of them. And I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, too. This is going to be my longest part of the, the message here. And, um, and I'm going to do this because it's important. We, we tend to forget who we are and why God has called us to be a part of the church. That's why we have a mentality that church is optional, that being with God's people is not that important. It's because we don't really understand the nature and the purpose of the church. And I think it's extremely important that we do. So I'm going to be throwing out a lot at you, so get out your pens. Hopefully you brought your sermon workbooks. First of all, the church is likened unto a field, a building, and a temple. Now, when you look at metaphors, the metaphors are telling you something about something else. So it's, it's descriptive. And you have to ask yourself, what do these things have in common? Well, these metaphors point to the growth and the unity of all true Christians and to the church as the dwelling place of God. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Then, just a few verses later, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, a lot of times we think of ourselves as God's temple, which is true. God's spirit lives within each individual believer. But you have to keep in mind, Paul is writing to the church, and he's very specific here. He, the word you in this passage is plural. So he's speaking to the church, and he's saying, as if you all are the temple of God. He dwells in you corporately. And so that's the idea here, is that we collectively are the temple of God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 20, verse 20 through 22, he says that, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is important to understand. We are collectively the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. In, in, a, in a very special way, God manifests his presence here in a unique way. Yes, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's living inside me. But when we gather, something special happens here. Just as a building grows when under construction, so the church grows as God brings in new believers and as believers begin to mature in the faith. Other metaphors we have in Scripture are living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and a holy nation. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, the apostle Peter combines a couple of metaphors here, the figures of a building and a priesthood. And he says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then in verse nine, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Another metaphor we don't often think about, but is in scripture, is that of an army. The God's people make up the army of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You see, this metaphor speaks to the militant nature of the church. We are in a spiritual war. And we fight this war with spiritual weapons. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And then in his second letter to Timothy, he writes in chapter 2, verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, we're in a battle. We're in a war. You're a soldier of Christ. And, and you need to be, be alert. You need to be aware. You need to be on guard. You need to be equipped. And you need to fight this battle. And the same is true for each of us. Another metaphor that we have in Scripture, a beautiful one, is that of the bride of Christ. This metaphor illustrates the relationship of Christ in his church. Ephesians 5 is a wonderful section of scripture that talks about it. But in 2 Corinthians eleven two, 2, listen to what Paul says. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband, 
to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. He's talking about the church. And he says, I have a divine jealousy for you. Why? Because you, you're the bride of Christ. I get to present you to the Lord as a pure virgin to Christ. And then in Revelation 19, verse 7, John records for us these words, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We are the bride of Christ. Another tender metaphor is that of a flock of sheep. This is, this is another tender description of, of Christ and his loving care for the church. Speaking to the Ephesian elders, the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, verse 27, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then the apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock. He's talking to the elders and he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Two other metaphors he gives us is that of fellow citizens and family. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Writing to Timothy in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing to these things to you that in case I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So we are the household of God. And, and I love what the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Now think about it. If we are the children of God, what's that make us? Brothers and sisters in God's family, God's household. The last metaphor I'm going to share with you is that of a body. This metaphor stresses and highlights the interconnected nature of the church, the, the oneness and the unity of the church, as well as the function of the church. In Ephesians 5, verse 23, we read that Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself its savior. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And in Romans 12, 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of another. 
And I'm sure you're familiar with those chapters in 1 Corinthians that talks about that, that we are all individual members of the body. He likens it unto one's a nose, one's an ear, one's an eye. And neither, none of these parts can say to the other, I don't need you. The arm can't say to the leg, I don't need you. The ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. But God has placed us together as he wants, as he desires, into one body. So here's the question some of you are probably asking right now. Why did I spend so much time on this, talking about it? Again, I think it's because we need to be reminded of it. In the first service, I didn't plan on saying this, and and so I'm going to include it here. But... um, I've been watching a few television shows over the past week, whatever, and, and something just hit me, and, and I wasn't expecting it, but, you know, you see characters in TV shows and movies, oftentimes, um, you know, uh, you don't see an intact family, oftentimes you see, you know, people sleeping around and all this, well, this particular show, don't even remember what it was, it was, it was about a, a guy who had left his wife, divorced his wife, and he's trying to convince his kids that he'll never leave them. You know, I'm, I'm going to be here for you always. No matter what happened over here, this is what I'm going to do. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, why is that? Why, why, why? Assuming that's true, why would they stick around for the kids when they didn't stick around for their wife or their husband? Well, on the surface, I would say it's because, well, these are his kids. They are of his flesh. I mean, that's the best answer I can give. Um, and then it dawned on me. I said, why, why don't they do that for their spouse? I mean, Scripture tells us for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I began to think, if we could grasp that, if, if our culture, if, if just Christians, people who claim to be Christians, would grasp the reality that you're no longer two, you're one, one flesh. If you then wouldn't say to, to your kids that you're going to bug out, then you won't say it to your spouse either. If, if what it is that's going to keep you in connection and relationship with your children... Is, is, the one, is, is the fact that you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, then if we could grasp that truth that that's what we are as husband and wife, then we wouldn't be so quick to pull out. And I think the same concept is true within the church. If we really understood that we are one body, that we are family, that we are an army. I mean, can you imagine an army if, if all the soldiers did whatever they wanted to do whenever they wanted to do it? If, if we understood these truths, I think it would revolutionize the church. I think it would transform our individual lives, our families, and our church. And that's one of the reasons why we're, we're doing this. A proper understanding of the church and our place in it is absolutely essential for anyone who's serious about following Jesus. We need to understand, again, that Jesus didn't just die so that you could go to heaven. He died for a people 
to be his special possession. We are his body. He is the head. And, and there's no other body, no other organization on the face of the earth quite like the church. It, it's unique. It is a spiritual body made up of many individual and different members who voluntarily come together despite their differences to pursue Christ. It's a spiritual body and it's absolutely essential to the Christian life and the mission of God. There's a couple of other things I want to share with you before I close this message, but I'd like you to watch this video. It features uh, Jonathan Lehman, uh, one of the authors of the book, and he kind of talks about this idea of what is the church. People throw that word church around quite a bit, and often they have different things in mind. Most often, I would say, people have one of two things in mind, and I, I think this broadly corresponds with what we find in Scripture. Maybe you have the universal church in mind. That is to say, all Christians everywhere at different times in different places, all of us together will <clears throat> comprise that end time and heavenly assembly we think of as the church. So when Jesus says, says I've come to build my church, I think that's what he has in mind. He has the universal and church in mind. But there's another way scripture uses the word church and perhaps even the more predominant way, and I think the way people often use the word today, and that's to refer to the local church. So where Jesus talks about, if he doesn't listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, treat him as a pagan or a tax collector there in Matthew 18, he has the local church in mind. What is a local church? Well, going back to the Protestant Reformation, people often defined a visible local church as, as any place you see the preaching of the gospel and, and the celebrating of the ordinances. Or let me put it like this. What is a church? A church is an assembly of Christians, right? People who have been born again and an assembly of these people who have been born again. And affirmed themselves as Christians, as Christ followers through the ordinances. We baptize into the name. We share the supper in his name. We gather in his name. So we've affirmed each other as Christ followers through the ordinances and through the preaching of the gospel. Who do you say that I am? Jesus said to Peter. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And the church are the people who gather in that name and they proclaim that name. Right? And we, we do this under the authority of the elders, and we do this by the help of deacons, and we do this to equip ourselves to go out and make disciples ourselves and live as representatives of the kingdom. So what is a church? Well, in one sense, it's all Christians everywhere, universal church. In another sense, it's, it's these assemblies of born-again people gathered in Jesus' name for declaring of the gospel and affirming one another through the ordinances. I think uh, Jonathan did a good job there, but let me unpack this just a little bit more. Speaking about the church um, as universal and invisible, <clears throat> and I, I remember, um, I, most of you realize, know that I grew up Catholic. I'm, I'm originally from upstate New York, and the first church I ever went to outside of the Catholic church was a Lutheran church, and one service that I was in, uh, we recited the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, there's a line in there that says, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And I went, whoa, 
well, I mean, we're Lutheran, aren't we? Or whatever. I mean, I didn't know what I was at the time, but, but you know, the guy next to me must have realized I was a new believer, and he said, hey, don't worry about it. He says, the word Catholic actually means universal. So when you see Catholic with a small c, the word means universal. So it's speaking of the universal church, meaning all believers everywhere, past, present, and future. It is not confined to a particular country or denomination. It transcends time, cultures, languages, geographical and political boundaries. All who belong to Christ are a part of the universal church and the kingdom of God. But he mentioned another word, and that was the word invisible. And it's, it's, it's invisible in the sense that it consists of only those who are truly saved. And we do not know that. As we look out at one another, we don't know with certainty who is saved and who's not, but God does. And so only God knows the exact membership of his church, and that's what we mean by it being invisible. So it's universal and invisible. But at the same time, the church is local and visible. So on one hand, the church is universal and invisible, and on the other hand, it is local and visible. And the local church is a gathering of called out ones who meet together at a specific location for divine purposes, God's purposes. It's an assembly of people who gather for worship, for fellowship, for instruction, for service, for mission. And it's called the visible church, not so much because you can see it on the corner, you know, because it's got a big steeple or whatever, or a cross on the door. Um, That makes it visible, obviously. But the reformers, when they talked about the, the visible church, they basically were talking about the people. They were known, and their services were public. And so if it helps you to just think about the visible church as being a a church that you can see, great, fine, but also know that there are real people inside of that building that are worshiping together. And these visible churches that are sprinkled all over the place make up the larger church in any particular given city. So that's why sometimes in scripture we read about the church in Jerusalem, the church in Rome. Doesn't necessarily mean that there was, you know, one house with a handful of people who were worshiping there, but there may have been many house churches, but in trying to instruct the Christians living in that city, a letter would be written to the church at Rome, or the church in Corinth, or in Ephesus, or Colossae. There is a church here in Columbus, and in Canal Winchester, and in Pickerington, and Lithopolis, and Lancaster, Lancaster, I'm working on it. The local church, and this might help you, think about the local church as an assembly, excuse me, as an embassy or a military outpost. I think those are good representations of the universal church because the local church represents the universal church. It represents the kingdom of God here on earth. It proclaims the message of the king. It carries out his commands. It affirms its citizens. It maintains order. 
If, if, if you take the, the metaphor of the army, you can see the church is the spiritual staging ground for forward operations. Bernard Howard uh, with the Gospel Coalition said this, the local church isn't a piece of the heavenly church like a tiny chunk broken off of a big cookie. Instead, it's a miniature realization of the whole heavenly thing. It's, it's, the, it's the whole church, the universal church, everything that it means and represents in miniature form. It's a microcosm. It's not just a piece, like he says, broken off. We're a part of it. We are the whole thing but much, much smaller than the universal church. So the local church, if you understand that then, then the local church is not something that we should consider as an optional activity. The local church should not be viewed as an optional accessory then to the Christian life, one that we can live without because it is essential for our spiritual growth, the health of the church, and the mission of God. And I would go so far as to say to isolate ourselves from the body is to sever ourselves from the church, from the local church, that is. And I think it's unthinkable that any Christian would do that. In, in fact, the whole question about can you be a Christian and, still, and not be a part of the church, no one would have asked that for the first 1900 plus years uh, since Christ. It, it just wasn't, it was unthinkable. If you're a Christian, you are a part of the local church. And by that, I don't mean just showing up on Sunday mornings. You're an active participant in the life and the mission of the church. Pastor Tim Challey said this, he said, the Bible knows nothing of lone Christians of believers who are willfully independent from a local church. John MacArthur said, the idea of experiencing salvation without belonging to a local church is foreign to the New Testament. You're just not gonna find it there. God has put us in his body. We do not have the right to remove ourselves from it. Now, obviously, being you know, committed to the local church, as I said, means more than just attending a worship service. It means that we're involved in the life and the mission of the church. We're invested in one another. We're invested in the spiritual well-being of one another. We pray for one another. We support one another. We encourage one another. We, we help one another. We, 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 we care deeply. And, and we strive to obey all the one another commands in Scripture. Again, something you can't do from watching a worship service online. You've got to be amongst God's people to obey those commands. So when someone comes to me and says, Oh, I'm growing, fine. No, you're not. You're not growing. You're deceiving yourself if you think you're growing and you're not connected. Because you can't forgive somebody whom you're not, you're not close enough to to allow them to hurt you. You can't carry someone else's burdens if you don't know what they are. So you, you, it's, let me give you a, a definition of the church found in the book. This may be helpful to you. 
The church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and the example of the elders. Now, of course, not everyone in the visible church is a part of the invisible church. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a parable. I'm sure it's familiar to you. He says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. What Jesus is saying is something I think we're keenly aware of is that the church is filled with a mixture of people, believers and unbelievers, wheat and weeds. And it's not always easy to tell the difference. Uh, last week, my wife and I, we went hiking, and at the end of our hiking, you know, I saw this beautiful flower. I just thought, this is gorgeous. We need to get some of this. And my wife goes, it's a weed. <laughs> I had no clue. Um, there are some beautiful weeds. Did you know that? They, they, they fooled me. And I think the same thing is true within the church. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes between the weeds and the wheat. Now, why is this important to understand? There are a lot of reasons why it's important. I'm only gonna share one, and I think it's the one um, that we need to be most cognizant of, and that is it should serve as a warning to us that we should not assume that we are in Christ simply because we're here. Do you hear that? Just because you're here doesn't mean you belong to Christ. That's why we learned in our previous study why Peter wrote, be all the more diligent. Be all the more eager to confirm your calling and your election. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, we have, I think, three of the most frightening verses in the entire Bible. Jesus is speaking, and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the ones who does the will, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you notice that, that Jesus says it's, it's gonna be many? Many who? Not many unbelievers. I mean, in the sense of clearly unbelievers, but many people who profess to know Christ. How do we know that? Because he says they're gonna say to him, Lord, Lord. They're acknowledging his lordship. And on top of that, they did many wonderful things in his name. They ministered in his name. They served in his name. By outward appearances, they would look to be like wheat. But they were weeds. And he's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Not everyone in the visible church is a part of the invisible church. And according to Jesus here, there are many people who think they're on their way to heaven when, in fact, they're on the road to hell. Jonathan Lehman, in another one of his books, wrote this. He says, a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Christ Jesus and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. I want you to notice where he says that, that, that they officially affirm and oversee one another's membership. See, it's not enough for us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Though we are to do that. We're commanded to do that. What we really need to do is we need to allow God to examine us. And a lot of times God uses our brothers and sisters around us to help us examine ourselves. So that, that's, that's why I, I think, you know, ask God to examine you. But I, I think ask, ask, the person, ask your brothers and sisters here, examine you. If we really love one another, if, we, if we're really family, I mean, do not parents correct their children? Do, not, do they not give guidance and vice versa? Does not a husband do that for a wife, a wife do that for the husband? If we're truly family, if we really believe that, then we ought to do that for one another. We ought to say, hey, you know, brother, I said brother instead of, I was gonna say Jonathan, but I didn't want you to think I was picking on you. Uh, you know, brother, you know, um, can I share with you something that I, I'm seeing right now in your life? I, I know it's not easy to do that, but if we really love one another, we'll speak the truth in love and we'll trust God for the results. As I conclude the message this morning, I, I wanna be clear that the church saves no one. Only Jesus saves and he saves through his shed blood that he poured out for us on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, paying the penalty that we should have paid. He, he, he paid it. He took it. And if we repent of our sins and trust in him and his sacrifice for us at the cross, the Bible says that we will be saved. If we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. And God will then place us into his church universal and local. So have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Christ? 
Wonderful. For those of us who have been born again, we have been bought by the blood of Christ. We have been brought into the church, the temple of the living God. We are a holy and royal priesthood. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece to the world. The local church, as imperfect as it is, is the last best hope for the world. God is calling us to commit ourselves to the local church, which means to one another, for our own good, for the good of others, and for the sake of those we're called to reach. We, we harm ourselves, we hinder the church, and we hurt the cause of Christ when we view the church as optional. As I said before, a proper understanding of the church and our place in it is absolutely essential for anyone who is serious about following Jesus. I want the world to look at us and marvel. I want them to see that there is a qualitative difference in our lives from their lives. We need to give them something to look at and to long for and say, gee, I, I wish my life was like yours. I wish, wish my marriage was like yours. I wish my kids were like yours. I, wish, yeah, I mean, I know it's not perfect. But, but I believe in the power of God to transform not only an individual life, but to transform marriages and families and whole cultures. God's been doing that for 2,000 years. Remember, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. If you want to be a biblical Christian, you need to be committed to a local church. And Trevor's going to talk a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together here this morning, for your word to us. And um, Lord, we just are so thankful uh, for all that you have done for us from from laying your life down to, to giving us your spirit, to placing us in your church, giving us your word. Lord, I pray that you would ruin us for anything less than your glory, that we would come to love your church even as you love your church, that we would be one even as you and the Father are one. And Lord, may the, the people in our surrounding community take note of us because we have been with Jesus and we seek to love the brethren. In Jesus' name, amen.